Sean. Hey, Radcast is on. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. From the Porter's 10Cast Studio, here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill, and this week, you know, Radcast is being brought to you by PK Lures. That's right. PK Lures is awesome. That's all I got to say. They they bailed me out of a lot of situations where I wasn't catching a whole lot, and throwing that red dot glow or pink flutter fish, any of those, they work really well. We were out fishing the other day through the through the solid water, that icy stuff, <laughs> standing on top of uh, the, the, the frozen lake. It was a little windy, it was a little cold, but not, not terrible, and we caught you know, more than our fair share of fish. It was a good time. Yeah, there was a couple of nice ones too. I mean, decent. And, you know, it was it was cool because the full moon was out. That was that was something special. And mm. those glow lures, man, <laughs> red dot glow, and you had that Bengal tiger glow, I believe, on yours, man. That thing was awesome. Just charge it up with a flashlight, put it back down there, and they were hitting it pretty consistent. So go check out PK Lures. Yep, go to pklure.com. You can pick those up. I know a few of our listeners have already done that, so thank you to you guys. And get them out there. Send us some pictures of stuff that you catch on them. Uh, they, they do really well. And I also want to tell you about a special deal that PK is doing for us, which is awesome. Um, right now, if you buy one of their spoon kits off of their website and you put in the promo code RAD at the end, you get a set of Wyoming blades. And you might be asking, what's a Wyoming blade? Well, I'm going to tell you what a Wyoming blade is. It's these little blades that you can attach to the split ring at the top of the spoon. And when you're jigging that spoon, they kind of smack against the spoon. They flash. And they will definitely help you catch more fish. Um, they come standard on the PK Predators. So definitely check that out. Get on their website. Yep. Use the promo code RAD. It'll be in the show notes. And give, give PK a, you know... They're supporting us, so you guys need to go support them. Yep, and if you buy more than $75 worth of stuff, you get free shipping too. So that's an incentive to buy a few other things. So so David, you went on an out-of-state trip, and you've been on a number of out-of-state trips this year. So why don't we talk about what it takes to go on an out-of-state hunting trip? I started a company so I could go on out-of-state trips. That was one of the <laughs> big incentives, Patrick. But yes, I did. I did get to take a few. Um, it's a little bit harder now to, to schedule that time to get away when, you know, there's consistent daily work that needs to be accomplished. But, you know, there are some things, you know, this recent one was Havelina down in Arizona. I've been thinking about doing that for a decade, watched it happen a few times and just thought they were a really unique creature. We don't have them in Wyoming. I mean, you don't got them in Utah. You got to go there. They're a desert creature. So describe what a javelina is, because a lot of people are probably like, what the heck is a javelina? The, the easiest way, they look like a furry pig. But they're really not a pig, okay? They, I mean, and they have tusks or teeth, kind of like a pig, but their anatomy is way different, and they're they're tiny. I mean, they're they're piglet size, right? You're not mm-hmm. talking these things are getting four or five hundred pounds. They're 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 a forty pound critter. They just are. <laughs> but they've got six inch guard hair to keep them cool. I don't think they have a whole lot of under fur, and they don't really shed like our ungulates do to you know get a summer and a winter coat. I mean, I think they're just built for the heat period and they they struggle to stay warm in the winters is what i'm gathering right they their home territory doesn't come very far north into arizona it's down in the the prickly pear cactus and the desert and the joshua tree stuff so and i've seen pictures of the prickly pear i mean they just devour that stuff don't they that's one of their primary food source i mean so an animal that can eat cactus i mean it they're (laughs) 
<laughs> mad respect. And they're very territorial, very aggressive, very nearsighted. I think they hear okay, but their primary defense is, is smell and they attack, right? They've got inch long razor tusks and they're they if if I wouldn't want to tangle with one to be honest with you. Not <laughs> not hand to hand. I mean they got knives out of their face, man. Can you imagine chewing on needles from a cactus? I mean that, that just the thought of that sounds awful. They eat cactus like we eat watermelon. That's crazy. They just come up and just start chewing and but I think that's where they get a big portion of their moisture is out of that Cactus. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, where else are they going to get it other than the water hole, right? Now, there was some other vegetation and forage, and they're, they're from what I've picked up on, they're omnivorous. They're not near, you know, people think they're carnivorous or something. No, I think they will eat protein. They've been known to chew on a dead critter here or there, but it's very opportunistic. They're mostly, as far as an omnivore, they're more on the herbivore side. They're, they're looking for those berries and those plants and certain bushes and definitely cactus. We saw evidence of cactus just uh, and we'll put some pictures on the show notes it it's it blows my mind two inch long you know stuff that you just get an inch away from and you're like man i just got three needles in me they're, they're eating that they're putting their face on it yeah i've seen these pictures so you, imagine you take a cheeseburger and you take a big bite out of it and you leave that kind of semi-circle mark in that burger mm-hmm. that's what they're doing to prickly pear but there's it's crazy there's thorns sticking everywhere ah, you can't not get oh. a thorn in your mouth when you do no. that I, I've been stuck by prickly pear a number of times. It's not fun. And so I'm like, I'm just thinking about the thought of even putting that near my mouth is not happening. I put in for the tag. You have to draw for the tags, just like all our other management species. It's a great thing. They're they're managing that to max potential. We had to hunt hard. A couple things as far as when you're doing any out-of-state hunt versus something where you're hunting out your back door. There's some some extra steps and, and things you need to consider when you're scheduling one of these out, it's not, you don't just say, oh, tomorrow I'm going to go four states away. I mean, I'm, we're on the border of Montana here almost, and we went almost to the border of Mexico. So it, it was 19 hour drive time for us. That's a long haul. And I'm sure depending on where you're going and what you're going for, you're going to have some specialized needs as far as the gear that you bring and the things that you have to do. So what were some things you had to do? I checked the weather and it's always hard when you're packing here, we're in January in Wyoming and I'm packing to go outdoors. You know, you start thinking about, think, think ice fishing equipment. We get down there and it's, and I checked the weather and it was going to be the lows of thirties and highs of sixties. I'm like, okay, I, we have highs of thirties right now and lows of negatives. So it's much more temperate and mild, <laughs> but I still overpacked as far as heavyweight gear. Now I took some lightweight gear too, but none of that heavyweight gear even made it out of the truck. Now I had it just in case, you know, the high of 60 didn't materialize and we're out at 50 or 40 that's it can be a little brisk if the wind picks up or it started raining and snowing while we were there i always go in the woods with my rain gear and i don't care if i'm if i'm going you know in august somewhere especially in wyoming we get freak snowstorms in july so being caught up fishing hiking hunting without basic shelter that's that goes all the way back to buck tilton's episode of mm-hmm. dress like an onion right and layer up and be a little bit prepared just the boy scout model of yeah you might be going for just an afternoon and it might supposed to be nice weather but you never know when a freak thunderstorm shows up and it goes from 70 in wyoming in the mountains to 40 and you're now soaking wet you know some of the things to think about are you flying are you driving and there's different you know if you're flying you obviously got to reduce your amount of kit down to what can i get on the airplane efficiently 
Yeah, you can take 12 bags, but I like to have, like for that sheep hunt in Alaska, I had travel bag, my big backpack, and a gun case. So I checked the big gun case, I checked the big black backpack, my big expedition, and then on the plane, I just had a little tiny suitcase. You know, though, that's a couple of the thoughts is, are you flying, are you driving? And then look at the weather, look at, you know, are we going to be just sitting in a blind, or are we going to be hiking? So footwear is a, optics and footwear are both important of what am I going to take and and being able to answer those questions yourself, what do I want? And I took some 18 power binoculars I just got from Maven, pretty excited about those and put them on a tripod and I'll tell you what, the spotting scope's only going to come out of the backpack once I find I, it was really, I mean, we also were doing a little bit of coos deer scouting on this javelina hunt just because I've, that's the next thing I want to do on the list of, hey, what haven't I done? Where do I want to go? And coos deer sounds like a lot of fun. As far as gear and equipment of what you're taking, where you're going, you've got to go through a mental checklist and just kind of what do I need to be prepared and a little extra is fine. On this trip, we decided we were driving. There was two of us and we're meeting two more there. It just made more sense to drive. I decided not to take the camper and decided that we weren't going to do a hotel room, right? I didn't want to be in a hotel every day. I wanted to actually go camp and hunt and 20 hours of driving each way with the camper hooked up to the truck for the four or five days we we're going to be there just didn't seem necessary. Now, if Next year, I'm planning on taking the whole family, the boys and the kids and, and the wife. And so, yeah, the, the campers, that's that's a no-brainer. So we took the wall tent. I enjoyed sleeping in the tent every night. We had a propane heater and a wood stove to go in the tent. It was so dang warm. I just, I got in my sleeping bag went to sleep. Now, I'll, I'll give everybody a, a little snippet. David, uh, <laughs> I, I don't sleep as warm as I used to, and I don't <laughs> tolerate the cold as well as I did in my 20s. So I have a Wiggins really nice zero degree bag and that's a square hunter you know it's got the lots of foot room at the bottom inside that I put my 20 degree lightweight mountain synthetic bag and then I have a canvas cover that goes over all that on top of a cot on top of a sleeping pad dude I buried down inside that I bet you were out <laughs> I had to because it was only you know 45 or or 40 it got it got down to freezing one or two mornings but still I had to leave it unzipped and, you know, the when it gets just a little bit colder, if the wind picks up, if you only have one medium weight, zero degree bag, you're noticing that the temperature drop. <laughs> it's just don't care. I'm asleep and it's warm and it's great. So definitely having adequate quality gear and, and making sure, you know, an extra coat. I didn't take an extra pair of wool socks. We sat a couple mornings early glassing. I probably would have wanted to, my feet were getting a little cold, right? In my lighter mm-hmm. weight hiking boots. So, you know, there, those are just how do you boil down? Are you driving? Are you flying? Are you going in a buddy's vehicle? Are you taking yours? Are you taking trucks, trailers, ATVs, horses? You know, you've got to decide that and quantify it. But for me, for this trip, you know, it was easiest to throw the wall tent in the bed of the truck, not have the camper. And, you know, now we can do the speed limit instead of 10 miles an hour slower and don't have the added fuel expense of the diesel. Doesn't do horrible with the trailer behind it, but it's not it's not the same. It's not the same. So we just reduced the fuel cost a little bit, got down there. Yeah, we were a little more rugged calving, but a couple nights, we were good. Some of the best hunting trips are when you're doing it a little bit more rugged anyway. I mean, it's it doesn't always have to be the Hilton experience when yes. you're out there, that's for sure. So as far as, you know, specifically Havelina, this was an archery hunt. You know, there's a few things as far as archery equipment and tackle that, and have, we're talking a a 30 pound animal here we're not talking my thousand pound elk right so mm-hmm. you know i i used my elk setup that's the same setup that you know same arrow same broadhead same bows it wasn't like i got a new well setup. you don't want to change 
like your calibrations and everything either. No. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. No. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, I put an, an arrow through the javelina into the rocks really hard, right? So, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm testing out a new broadhead when they come out to market. We'll, uh, we'll share them, but it survived. I was very impressed with it, and we will most likely be harvesting an elk this fall with that same broadhead. So when they're, when they're actually out on the market, we'll, uh, we'll let you know more <laughs> about them, and we'll, I'll share them probably this fall. It was neat to try them. I mean, like I said, they went into the rocks hard after going through and survived, so that's always... It's a nice thing. So tell me what happened, like what transpired with, you know, actually getting onto the javelina and making the kill shot. You know, being brand new into an area, just doing a little bit of e-scouting, which is, I recommend everybody does it, but (laughs) you you get in your mind this mental picture of, you know, and another little bit of a tidbit is, you know, Google, Google Earth Street View can at least, you know, get you somewhat of a, a hunting based program that goes on your phone and you can it's called onyx there's a couple others out there but it gives you access to aerial imagery with your location on it and it has the hunt units and you know states locations drainage all all that great good stuff but still it's kind of that bird's eye view and always different when you're sitting on the ground i can remember the days of pouring over maps like you know, going down to the store and printing a 30 inch wide map and yep. having that. And it didn't have the satellite. You you had to either go look at satellite photos that, and there were very few, or you just had to deal with these state maps that we got. And then you just kind of start there. So a big thing on this hunt was finding water. And we camped and had been a couple of spots. My brother had drawn the same tag. He went hunting two weekends before and had harvested a javelina. So he showed up to meet us there to hang out and kind of went, hey, here's where I found one. Now, one thing I learned is season opens you know, late December, early January, I went end of January, early part of February. So season had been going for a little while and that pressure had ramped up and the, the, the javelina had responded. <laughs> they were, they were there, but not as uh, prolific at, as they had been for people earlier in the season. And closer to Christmas was warm and dry. When we were down there, they were starting to get snow and rain and temperatures were dropping a little more you know i think that made a difference in our hunt we saw quite a few man those things can move on on four inch little legs <laughs> I mean, yeah, one point in time i got two yards away from four or five and we were in such thick foliage you know i just couldn't draw your bow couldn't move they were there i could see bits and pieces but there was no getting an arrow i, I don't even think i really get my bow drawn and we were trying to get this on film so that adds another level of well i probably could have got it done but the cameraman's just like uh, no i don't have anything so we ended up uh specifically targeting water and weather was coming and we were fortunate enough to harvest a javelina. And they're, like I said, six-inch guard hair. They're very unique colored, collared peccary. They have this white kind of collar around them. And they're, they're a unique species and family. They have a, a scent gland right between, right on top of their back, right between their, kind of on their hump, you know, mm-hmm. on their rump. And I'm not a biologist, right? I'm, but what they use that scent gland for, obviously communicating with others in their species and what they're communicating, I'm not sure. But it was, it's definitely an interesting little gland and it has a, a very pungent, I wouldn't say repulsive <laughs> smell. It's kind of a, a strong, sweet smell, but it's, it's an odor that is unlike anything else I've ever smelled. Pretty stinky, I'm sure. Yeah, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, it, it, I wouldn't call it fishy, but it's, you know, if you touch a little bit of smell or fish species and you're later you're like man I, yeah i touched that fish yeah you definitely yeah. be like yeah i got i have javelina on me and it's the meat's a, a super light pink meat and there's not a whole lot of it on one i will tell you that <laughs> gotta kill a lot of javelina to have 
much of a meal. You get one tag, so yep. <laughs> it just. So you're not going to give up elk hunting to go start hunting javelina every year. Well, here, here's the cool part: elk hunting's done in January. So it was a it was really fun to spot and stalk and be out amongst them. Now again, we we're trying to get on film, so finally we we did get one. We were set up and and harvested one, but I want to go back with. I used a compound, right? I want to go back with a recurve. Just because shots are 20 to 30 yards, you can, their, their whole world exists at about 30 yard circle. If you're at 70 yards doing jumping jacks, if you've got the wind right, they don't really care. They just don't. They, now you make, make them mad at 30 yards. They're going to come after you, but and I, I think they're like anything. They're going to escape if they can. It, it was just a neat experience. It's a neat critter, you know, things on that hunt. You know, I had just a backpack, some water, a knife and a bow and some binoculars. Now it was, we were doing a little bit of glass in mornings and evenings for coos deer, just trying to watch deer and because the javelina don't seem to get moving too early in the morning they huddle up in groups to stay warm and i think they kind of wait for that sun to warm things up then they start running around and early afternoon they kind of their activity diminished to where they just you know the sun was setting by about six you know so 4 35 we'd go glassing for deer again instead of watching for abbeys but from 9 a.m till about 4 p.m we were on the ground moving and, and like i said every bush Every tree, every plant has thorns on it and just grabs you and pokes you and bites you and stings you. And there was no water down there. There's just no water. That's another thing, factor, like, you know, the doll sheep hunt that we've talked about that I went on. Water is important there, very important, one of the, but in the Brooks range, you can always find it. You know, it'll be here and there. It's something to think about. And it's because that's a a fly-in style hunt, you're not going to fly enough water in for a 10-day hunt. Where we drove the pickup in, and we had a couple five-gallon cans, and we we were good on water. You know, if you're going somewhere like that, it's and the water you do find is not as appetizing to to filter. And (laughs) I mean, it's most of it's stagnant. I I will give Arizona Fish and Game a pretty good shout-out. There was a, they did a good job of marking all that water and improving lots of natural water features for, and fencing, you know, they got a lot of free range cattle down there so they would fence the cattle out of some of those water troughs that were specifically designed for the whale and deer and elk and javelina you know because cattle are they're pretty disruptive to to some of those game species so it was just cool they were they were marked well they were very well built and you could just see how vital there was miles and miles and miles of terrain that had tons of feed tons of prickly pear cactus right great grass for deer and elk and all sorts of species there was no tracks and it's harder ground to track in, but you could still get in some dry washes or some other places and find pretty good tracks. You just, it was a little different than what we have. There wasn't a lot of dirt, right? Not a lot of mud. It was more sand and, and rock. The places that had improved water had lots of game. Some of the similar terrain five miles away that just didn't have any improved water had no game tracks. There was some of those bigger ungulates you could see had cruised through, but they were not habitating that area. So I I just want to give them a, a kind of a shout out and say that was it was cool to see and you know I'm glad to see some agencies doing doing some stuff. So what was your favorite part about the Havelina hunt overall besides staying in the wall tent and being nice and cozy? <laughs> well, wall tent and bacon over a campfire. I, I don't care where oh, you are. Man. That's that's always great. Bacon. But the sunrises on the whole hunt were very memorable. Uh, just being in a new place, new terrain, not knowing what's over the next ridge and getting to go explore. We did you know like I said we did eat the e scouting so we knew. 
my brother had done a little bit. And he's like, these areas. And we went and we went to a whole brand new area. And that's where we ended up harvesting one. Covered a lot of miles in the pickup. That was, you know, and those desert roads are rough. Boy, are they, I mean, just washboarded, potholy. And then you get past the stuff that's been, you know, graded and maintained regularly that's really washboarded because it gets a lot of traffic. Then you get into just this lava rock just sticking out of the ground everywhere. And it's, you know, it's like driving over basketballs all day. You're not going fast and you're not getting anywhere in a hurry. Crawling along. Crawling along pretty rough. So, but it was cool just to, I mean, there is, there's a lot of this globe that I haven't seen and Arizona was just a state I hadn't spent a whole lot of time in and it's a very neat state. I'll be going back. So what would you tell somebody if they were going to go down to Arizona for a hunt, something that they ought to take or something they should consider besides the water thing? I think that's kind of obvious that they'll need water. But what else? That hunt in that country to me was very uh, indicative of climb a ridge, take quality optics, a spotting scope. And like I said, I had those 18 power binos on a tripod that I could scan and pan with. 10 power binos down there in that country is just not enough when you're glassing two, 3,000 yards looking for critters. So optics in that country, because, I mean, <laughs> I could sit down and, and spend three hours glassing what would take you three days to hike. And you remember every bush you go by is going to be poking you. So yep. being able to spot game prior to, no, you, sometimes you just got to, you got to put boots on the ground and, and do figure some stuff out. But yeah, I would say so the way we found our first group of 15 Havelina was we put, put two groups of guys up on two peaks about a thousand yards apart and you know just picked the country apart for a couple hours and finally found some moving inevitably they were moving off a ridge to water that wasn't on a map and nobody knew was well somebody knows is there but it wasn't on the maps it wasn't improved but there was there was a bathtub size quote-unquote dry creek that had some water in it and they were deer tracks there was quail there was havies so seeing a coos deer that was phenomenally big i'm excited about that i'm (laughs) i'm going back next year and we'll see about the heavy, you know, if I if I draw another tag, yeah, it was a it was an awesome critter, it was an awesome experience. I'd recommend if you haven't even researched or ever seen one, go just look at the pictures of these critters there. <laughs> so there'll there'll be one in my office now. He's gonna be a <laughs> life size mounted little javelina, <laughs> open mouth and these tusks that'll just tear you open. So it was it was cool. really cool. I I'd recommend everybody go do it. It was it was not easy. It was I've seen some videos of guys get in a group of 30 or 40 of these things, right? And they're just kind of just keep dogging them with the wind in your favor and you're you're going to get in them. But we had just I think cuz of the pressure we had trouble finding finding them and when they we did, they were moving. They weren't just taking a nap. That's awesome. Well, hopefully You'll be doing another cool trip here soon. We can talk about it on the podcast and kind of go through it. But it sounds like a lot of fun. It was good to have my dad and brother there. Like I said, we filmed it all. So I don't know when. I don't even know if the film's going to be worth anything. But we did it. It was it was a fun trip. I'm excited for what the what the next one is. And you know what? There, there's, there's more coming. So Well, again, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Radcast Outdoors. Definitely go check us out on the socials. Go to our website, radcastoutdoors.com. We're always trying to put together something new for you, so keep your eyes open. Uh, We'll have some recipes and some other cool stuff coming out. So definitely go out there and do that and get yourself a Radcast Outdoors hat like David likes to talk about. And we got some other things that may be coming up soon too for you to get. So definitely go check that out. And we will be back here before too long. That promo code on PK Lures was rad. So you can get you yep. some Wyoming spoons. Don't forget about PK. We're we're really excited to have them on board. And that I was fishing with that glow dot lure. And that's, it seemed to it be works. working great. It works. So yeah, go out there, go to pklure.com. You can pick yourself up some spoons, get that spoon kit and get some Wyoming blades for free.
All right, it is time for the High Mountain Recipe of the Week, brought to you proudly by High Mountain Seasonings, a Riverton, Wyoming company. High Mountain Seasonings has been around for 30 years and is doing a great job of making sure that all the hunters and people who are processing their own meat have everything they need to do the job right. High Mountain Seasonings offers a lot of different options for you. They offer fish brines, jerky kits, sausage-making kits, and much, much more. You can find all of their great products at highmountainjerky.com or h-i-m-t-n-jerky.com. Again, h-i-m-t-n-jerky.com. So now, here is our recipe of the week. All right, everybody. We just got done talking about javelina. So I'm going to give you a leg of javelina recipe or javelina leg, however you want to say that. And I will tell you, this was really good. It turned out awesome. So here's what you're going to need. You're going to need a leg of a javelina. So you might have to go to Arizona and actually do that trip in order to get what you need for this. You'll need a quarter cup of red wine, one and a half cups of water, half of a white or yellow onion. You'll need your high mountain hickory burger seasoning, and you'll need a slow cooker. So all I did, this is really, really simple, is I got my little crock pot out, took the leg, got it seasoned up. I put the liquid ingredients in the bottom. I put a little rack for the leg of javelina to sit on, laid it in there, covered it with the lid, and I cooked it slow for 10 hours. And when I came back to it, it was falling off the bone and absolutely delicious. Again, that's the high mountain hickory burger seasoning that I used on there. I love hickory. It's one of my favorite seasonings out there. I'm sure you could do this recipe in a smoker or a number of different ways. One other thing, if you can't go after a javelina and that's just not in the cards for you, take front shoulder of an antelope or a front shoulder of a whitetail or mule deer, something like that, and you can do the exact same thing. Definitely go out there, try this recipe. This will, of course, be on our website. You can go to ragcastoutdoors.com to get that full recipe and try it out yourself. Check us out again at ragcastoutdoors.com. Make sure to go over to High Mountain and uh, get the seasonings that you need for your next recipe, and you can make another awesome meal for your friends and family. So again, you can check them out at highmountainjerky.com or H-I-M-T-N jerky.com.